भद्रम कर्णेसृणुयाम देवा भद्रंग पश्येक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगुष्टुवागम सस्तनु व्यशेम देवित यदायु स्वस्ती न इंद्रो वृद्धस्रवा स्वस्ती न पूषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्तिर्नस्ताक्ष्योरिष्टनेमि स्वस्ती नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शातशाशाति हरि May we hear with our ears what is auspicious. May we see with our eyes what is auspicious. While praying with steady limbs, may we attain the lifespan allotted to us. May Indra bestow well-being on us. May Pushan, the God of the Earth, who is all-knowing, bestow well-being on us. May Garuda, the Destroyer of Evil, bestow well-being on us. May Brihaspati bestow well-being on us. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. So, in the last class, we were mainly studying the last mantra of the previous chapter, chapter of the previous chapter, and the first mantra of this concluding chapter, which describes the fact that if we approach a realized soul with the with the idea with the expectation to fulfill our worldly desires know it for certain if he blesses it is bound to be fulfilled and if we approach without any desires yearning for spiritual illumination that also is something which can be materialized which is possible by his blessing and that's this two ideas as has been spoken of in the last mantra of the previous chapter and the first mantra of this concluding chapter of kundaka upanishad this idea is summarized is surmised in the second mantra which we just studied which just started studying in the last class which we will elaborate on again in this in this class so let us start with the second mantra of the concluding chapter of mundaka upanishad the second mantra of the second chapter of the third part of mundaka upanishad what it says kaman ya kamayate manyamanah sa kamabhir jayate tatra tatra paryapta kamasya kritatmanastu ihaiva sarve praviliyanti kamah so he who cherishing objects desires them kaman ya kamayate manyamana this manyamana word is very significant his broods over the only the positive side of all the desires when we are brooding over the desires we see the desires to be very flowery we never see the negative side of it and that's how we go on desiring and we do get whatever we desire we do get but when we get it we find that it was not only that flower which we thought it entails in dissatisfaction leading to all sorts of suffering so that's being indicated that what you ask for will be granted kaman ya kamayate but what you are thinking that all those thoughts of happiness thoughts of all positive aspects which you are thinking to be associated with the objects of your desires beware of that that need not be that will never be uh, materialized it has to be associated with the sorrow the happiness has to be associated with sorrow birth is associated with death they are the obverse and the reverse of the same coin in this life we can never think of happiness without sorrow we cannot think of all goods without evil 
they are the obverse and the reverse of the same coin. So the word manyamana is very important. That we think we brood over all the so-called this good qualities and we desire and it is being it it do gets granted whatever we desire we get but still we suffer that all our desires be full is fulfilled but we never get rid of the dissatisfaction because when we are desiring that manyamana we are brooding only on the positive side of it we forget that all our happiness has to be associated with sorrow with dejection with struggle, with dissatisfaction. So, kamanya kamayate manyamana, sa kamabhir jayate tatra tatra. Whatever you desire, you are taken there. You are gravitated to the circumstances which entails in the fulfillment of all those desires. Kamabhir jayate. You are taken, you are carried, you are being gravitated to all those circumstances where your desires are bound to be fulfilled. And the next line speaks of the one who is dissatisfied with this constantly chasing after the illusory pleasures of life. And they become paryapta kama. Enough of it. That in Sanskrit, there is a pratyay called alam. Alam means enough. I had enough of it. So the paryapta speaks of that alam pratyaya. That enough of all the so-called chasing after the desires. The one who has become paryapta kama. How he becomes? By becoming kritatma. Krita atma. Being established in his self. He has become swastha. He no more chases after the so-called engagements of life. Dives deep within. Ihaiva sarve pravilyanti kama. All the so-called petty desires vanish, rendering him tranquility, peace, and which enters in the liberation, the peace, the tranquility, the equanimity, which we all cherish. That's what is attained when one can stop chasing after the desires and get established in the self. So what has been discussed in the Concluding mantra of the last chapter and the first mantra of this present chapter is being surmised in this mantra. So what it speaks of, that whatever we desire, we get. But still we are dissatisfied. The word manyamanas is significant. It means to brood over. That is to say to contemplate on the good qualities. So it speaks of remembering only the climax and forgetting its evaporation. So we constantly is being deluded by the so-called prakriti, the nature. Once we are, because of the ignorance, are within the fold of nature, the nature makes us its tool to sustain itself. All the desires, the fulfillment of the desires, which we discuss again and again, doesn't in any way ensures our happiness. The happiness is a tool devised by the nature to make us do certain things by which it is sustained. That if we try to find out the nature of happiness, what it is, that all our, ha- all our happiness is the result of the fulfillment of the desires. What are the various desires we have? Our scriptures have categorized all the desires into three categories. All the desires can at last be categorized into these three categories. What they say? Putraishana, Vitteishana, Yashaishana. The desire for progeny, the desire for wealth, and desire for name and fame, establishment in life. All the three actually speaks of sustenance of the nature. Putraishana we need not explain. Of course, by our progeny, the nature is sustained. Nature continues through our progeny. Vittaishana, unless I sustain myself, I cannot think of progeny. So Vitta, indirectly, it speaks of sustenance of nature. Yasha also speaks of sustenance of nature. That we are all struggling for name and fame so that 
we get the better chance to propagate our genes. If you can establish yourself in life, you get a, you are become compatible, you become an eligible bachelor in the present world, the term we can say, and you're an eligible, compatible bachelor, eligible bachelor. So the chance of propagating your genes become more. So yesha also is linked with the propagation of the nature. And the nature has devised this ashanas in such a way, the moment it is fulfilled, you will get happiness. And for that happiness, we chase after the desires. When we get it, but now you just study the nature of the happiness. The moment we reach the climax, our desire is fulfilled. We are tremendously happy. In the words of the uh, present biological language, this, the, the happy hormone is uh, what is released. Dopamine is released. You are full of happiness. But immediately after, first, after some time, it evaporates. It doesn't remain in the climax. Why? Again, the nature knows very well that if we are satiated forever, we won't try for Vitta. We won't try for progeny. We won't try for Yesha. And that ultimately will speak of the disintegration of nature. We have to try again and again. And that's why what they have done, the nature has devised happiness in such a way you get happiness, but the next moment it evaporates. After that, very, very interesting. Thing. The third thing is also very interesting that we always remember the climax. We always forget the evaporation. And that's what is being indicated by the word manyamana in this sloka, that we always brood over these positive things. That's the plan of the nature. And we forget all the negative aspects. And that's why we say that past is always golden. The nature has devised, uh, the nature has been planned in such a way that we remember only the positive sides of what has happened. The negative sides are filtered out. And that's why the past is always golden. Anyone you ask the past, oh, it was so nice. Why? That we forget the struggles. We forget the evaporation. We for remember only the climax. And the fourth way you will find that whenever we are anticipating, aspiring, there is so much adventure in it. And the moment when we are in it, the desire which we wanted, we are in it, already it has started evaporating. You cannot, in, you will find there is more happiness in anticipation than in the real enjoyment. From the morning you were planning to go to the restaurant and enjoy the food, so much thrill you had when you were planning. But when you are sitting in the restaurant and having the food, it's already gone, all the fun is gone. You start feeling the plateau. The valley has been, you have reached the valley, it's a flat land, no more. That happiness has as if evaporated, went off. Why? That nature's work was to motivate us to do that thing. So through anticipation, it has motivated us. Once we are doing it, now the nature doesn't need to give us happiness. It used the happiness as a tool. It was not as a prize. It was just as a tool to make us do certain things. So it has succeeded. So you find there is no more happiness. So now you will find that with our desires, whatever we desire, nature gives us. But it fools us by filtering our memory in such a way that when we are brooding over the happiness, we only think of the so-called the good qualities, the positive sides of it, the negative thing we forget. And that's going on, birth after birth. The next question comes that, that happiness which we get, that we were saying that the nature gives us the happiness when the desire is fulfilled. But know it for certain, it is not the nature which gives us happiness. The nature doesn't have the capacity to give us even a stinge, a small, uh, what you say, a speck of happiness. It doesn't have the capacity. As Shankaracharya, uh, our uh, Shankaracharya in Bhagavad Gita commentary, he's very nicely, very strongly, he's asserting that fact that na sangsare sukhasya gandha matram apiyasti. That even the slight fragrance of happiness a tinge of happiness, a speck of happiness is not there in this samsara. It doesn't have the capacity. 
then the happiness which we get when our ashanas desires are fulfilled from where it comes that's of the self and self alone it is not the desire that gives us happiness the with the fulfillment of desires there is a state of desirelessness when we reach that state of desirelessness the happiness is of the soul of our self that is percolating through our mind and body it's no more filtered out it is filtered out only when my mind is turmoil because of all those desires as that example which we give again and again the swami vivekananda uh, uh, illustrates so nicely that when the lake is disturbed it is full of waves and the water is turgid i cannot see the bottom of the lake but when the water is transparent and calm i can see the bottom swami ji is saying that our mind is like that lake and the bottom of the lake is our self which is sat chit ananda swarupa that ananda swarupata is obscured as long as the water is turgid and full of waves it speaks of all our desires which we cherish in our mind that disturbing the mind and when an intense desire first engulfs all other desires we find that it's very common in our mind when you have an intense desire all the small desires have vanished so there is only one huge wave in your mind the moment that gets satisfied for the time being the mind is tranquil from where the happiness comes its nature doesn't have the capacity it is a self which is as if like the bottom of the lake just the way when the lake is calm you can see the bottom of the lake when the mind the lake called mind is calm all the desires has been fulfilled for the time being the self the ananda swarupata percolates through your body mind senses it is the happiness of the self and self alone however crude may be our desires when it is fulfilled we are as if communing with the self but it is just for a fraction as sri ramakrishna used to say it is just like the drop of water falling on a red hot cauldron how long it stays immediately it evaporates our happiness is just like that just for the time being the mind is tranquil the self percolates we are communing with the self for the time being unknowingly but we are mistaking it to be the happiness given by the nature that's the ignorance it is coming from the self but we think the object which i have attained that has given me the happiness but it doesn't have the capacity the nature doesn't have the capacity to give us even a speck of happiness as again and again we see sankaracharya is saying na sansare sukhasya gandha matram api asti this word gandha matram is important when you are cooking a delicacy you are yet to enjoy it but the fragrance has spread all over and you start enjoying you are yet to take the food just the smell of it is something which you enjoy you relish you start relishing through the smell that's why they say this ghranena ardha bhojanam that half of your uh, craving is gone just by the smell so here shankaracharya is saying that even that's little for the smell of happiness that nature has no capacity to give is a self and self alone which is finding expression as bliss through our psychophysical entity when the desire is fulfilled for the time being the mind is no more filtering it is calm it is no more filtering the bliss aspect of ourself but because of ignorance we think the thing which we have attained that has given me happiness and that entails in that hedonistic treadmill of avidya kama karma because of ignorance the desire arises from that we get involved in some action and this like a hedonistic treadmill ever running never reaching we are ever chasing after the desires thinking that it is going to give us fulfillment it never gives us fulfillment we are ever dissatisfied ever running never reaching nor even a distant glimpse of shore in the words of swami vivekananda in his poem how nicely he is saying that's the nature of happiness 
So then the question is, then what's the way out? The way out is that once you realize that it is the self and self alone, which is the source of all the bliss, then the question comes of remaining in the self. In this world, now we find there is so much of that depression because of aloofness, isolation. We think that as we get isolated from the society, that this is a common term nowadays used, that a human being is a social being. Without being social, he cannot uh, have psychological well-being. But very interesting. Yes, we say that during the COVID, the isolation has increased the psychological issues. But is it a fact? You will find even when there is no, as such, there's a restriction because of some pandemic. People are so much involved, socializing, partying, constantly with the society. And then they feel they're totally drained, exhausted. They they'll feel that, that in though they're mixing with all, something they're lacking. They never feel that happiness. They're as if in, everything is as if so superficial. There is no touch, the real touch. The real touch is the touch of the self. That's why in Sanskrit, they use the word swastha. Sometimes without knowing its meaning, we use the word swastha. By the word we, uh, swastha, we mean that the state of health, disease-free state, uh, disease-free state is swastha. But actually the word swastha means, it came from swa plus tha. Tha means thita. To remain established in what? In swa, in yourself. So swastha means the one who is established in his own self. He alone is free from disease. The word disease is very significant. Disease is disease. Your ease has gone. When the ease has gone, the moment we are no more established in ourselves, through our senses and mind, we are projecting outside, chasing after the so-called worldly pleasures, thinking that they are going to give us happiness. We are totally drained because nature has planned in such a way that whatever desire we may have, it will and ultimately give us. But the happiness which we thought is going to be with us forever, just evaporates in no time, making us feel that totally, uh, that uh, what you say, that drained. We feel that we are drained and the life has lost all its charm. That for all the endeavors we had for uh, attaining the so-called worldly pleasures, the moment we get it, its charm is gone. Because that's the plan of the nature. It is never going to give us satisfaction. And the little happiness which we get is from the self. The one who has realized that is constantly trying to be Kritatmana. The word Kritatmana in this mantra speaks of this swastha, to remain in the self. That his all endeavor is to remain in the self. And that alone can lead to Pariyapta Kama. When you are no more chasing for the, the sensed pleasures of life, you are diving deep within and trying to remain in association in eternal companionship with the soul, then alone you can become Pariyapta Kama. All the desires then fall off. In this life we find that whenever, what's the way of getting rid of desire? We cannot force out the so-called desires in our life. But the desires do vanish in our life. How? Whenever we have a higher desire, the lower desires falls off. We find that when I have enjoyed a delicacy, some other food which we enjoyed previously gives no more taste to us. We go for the delicacy, which is superior. Our relations, that we find that whenever a new relation gives us happiness, the old relation automatically falls off. A small child, when it is growing, it is so much attached to the mother. When it goes to the school, it develops a peer group. If the love for the peer group, you will find gradually is distancing him from the parent. It's a common thing. It happens. And when again he gets married, this the 
happiness, the conjugal happiness, makes him forget the so-called the peer group. So every time we find that as we go for some the new attachment comes, the older attachment automatically falls off. But here it is saying that you become paryapta karma. There is no question of falling off because this is the highest. The self, which is the source of all happiness, once you're established in it, there is no question of chasing after the small trivial pleasures of life. As no one will be digging a well in the bank of Ganges. He's a fool who digs a well in the bank of the ocean or the or bank of the river. This eternal source of perennial source of water is flowing. What's the need of digging a well? So Paryapta Kama speaks of that, that all the so-called sensor pleasures of life falls off once you become Kritatma. You get established in the self, which is the source of all bliss. Then all the desires falls off Paryapta Kama. And then only that's Ihaiva survey in the self, all the desires as if merge, praviliyante kamaha. As in the Bhagavad Gita, in the second chapter, the, the last sloka speaks of that. Just as in the ocean, that so many rivers, water bodies are going and merging in the ocean. But does it disturb the ocean? Does the level of the ocean in any way is disturbed, is, is rising or falling. No, it remains same. So all the waters are entering into it. Similarly, all our desires enter into that self, eternal self, merges in that without disturbing it. It is that equanimous self in which all are merged because that alone is the source of all happiness. Once you reach the source, all other channels becomes trivial. You are no more interested in all the small channels through which you are getting the tits and bits of happiness. All the worldly happiness, what it speaks of? Speaks of aspiring the right thing in the wrong way. Because of ignorance, we are trying to get that eternal happiness which comes from the self and self alone through all those worldly desires which are our narrow distorted channels through which a speck of happiness can be can be attained, but we cannot continue with it. So we are aspiring the correct thing, but we have taken the wrong path. So the first line speaks of the, the same aspiration for which we are misdirected. We can go for the same aspiration with the proper orientation when we become Kritatmana, Swastha, try to remain in the self, no more chasing after the so-called the trivial presence of life, which in no way can give us happiness. It's the biggest paradox of life with all our intelligence, with all our learning. But we may be so much intelligent, but this common, the simple fact never somehow gets uh, is saturated in our mind. With our intelligence, we go for wealth, we go for position in life, all those things we go for. But constantly we are being fooled, that common sense that the most Swami Vivekananda used to say a very interesting thing, that the most uncommon thing in this world is the common sense. It needs just a common sense to, to realize this fact that nothing is permanent, all these are trivial. However, I may try to make myself uh, be remembered by all. It's just a matter of fact. As long as you are in the society trying to have some prominent position, for the time being, you may feel, oh, people are all alluring, alluring you. It just takes, it just takes a little absence out of that. The English they say, out of sight, out of mind. Everything is for, forgotten. All your attempts, knowingly, unknowingly, to have that establishment in life just falls off. The moment you are out of sight, you are out of mind, gone. For what all this chasing after, this so-called social engagements and all, is of no use. It's just draining. So have the courage to step back and get established in the self. It needs that Swami Vivekananda, when he was in the West, he used to say that you think that this we, the so-called the Hindus, those who are from the Indian uh, civilization, this Hindu background, 
they are very feeble, they are very weak, uh, they are very cowardly. But for you, the courage is just to stand in front of uh, the gun, the stand, stand in front of uh, the opposite enemy with all the weapons and to face, face the enemy in the battle is the courage. That's, a, that's one dimension of the courage. The courage has so many other dimensions. The one who says that I want nothing but the self and self alone. It needs tremendous courage, tremendous strength that will be spoken of in the uh, succeeding mantra in this chapter only. In the fourth mantra, we are studying the second. The fourth mantra it will speak. The one who is weak, who always is bothered about that what will happen if this all my this so-called knots, the social knots breaks off and is constantly afraid of that. For him, spiritual life is of no use. That will be spoken of in the fourth mantra. So it needs a tremendous courage to step back. If I really want my welfare, that in uh, all the religions we speak of selflessness, that we shouldn't be selfish. Our Ranganathan used to say that we never say or speak of selflessness. We speak of selfishness. But that selfishness is enlightened selfishness. What's that enlightened selfishness? To know what's that what is really good for me. That all the things which I am thinking is good for me is actually deluding me. The real goodness lies in being established in the self to become Kritatma. That is the enlightened selfishness. Go for that. And then only all the so-called desires can as if just simply merge in that eternal source of happiness and joy. And making the rendering you that freedom no more this, this, they, they, there will be the urge for chasing after these trivial pleasures of life you can have a bird's eye view of the working of the nature and can easily come out of it so that's the thing which is being indicated in the second mantra of this chapter so so once you are swast established in the self that's what's meant by the word Kritatma. Then alone you can become Pariyapta Kama. Says so how it happens by contemplating on the self, ultimately the ego is annihilated. That's the idea which we speak again and again. That all our desires are ultimately hooked to the ego. That I am this limited being. I am this limited psychophysical existence. To this idea, to this notion, all the desires are hooked. Just the way all the spokes of a will is connected to the hub of the will. Similarly, all the desires are connected to the hub, the ego. is constantly trying to remain established in the self by developing that Brahmakara Vritti, that I am the Brahman. I'm not this body, not the mind, not the senses. I'm the Brahman, the Atman, which is bereft of all the stimuli response conditioning which speaks of all the desires and beyond that. This is the thing which as if hammers the hub of our psychophysical existence, the ego, constantly. And once that is, we, are, we get, can get rid of that, all the spokes are bound to fall off. They all, all the desires falls off, rendering you that spiritual emancipation, freedom, which we have already studied in the eighth mantra of the second chapter of the second part of this same Upanishad, the Mundaka Upanishad. What was that mantra? Vidyate Ridaya Granthi, Chidyante Sarva Sankshayaha, Kshiyante Chasya Karmani, Tasmin Drishte Paravare. Once you realize that self by becoming Paryapta Kama, when all the desires have fallen off, then the Ridaya Granthi, all the knots of the heart, they are cut asunder, vidyate ridaya granthi. So that if the, rida, if the ego is the heart in which all the desires are knotted, they all fall off all at once. They all fall off. Chidyante sarva sankshaya. Once they fall off, 
you experience the core of your being, which at present we are deluding to be a limited uh, ego, becomes something ineffable. It cannot be explained what you are experiencing, but it is noetic. These are the words used in even in psychology. Noetic means you are experiencing something which is not imagination. It is a fact, but at the same time it is ineffable. You cannot explain it. So that gives you the conviction. At present, when I'm thinking of the self, it is an imagination. What I've read in the book with it, with the help of that, I'm trying to imagine. But when, because of the Brahmakara Vritti, constant contemplation of the self, when the hub called the ego has been, what you say this, has been removed and all the mental modules falls off, leading to the realization, that realization is ineffable, but noetic. You cannot explain. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, jamungi. just the way when you taste the clarified butter, it has a taste. But as that taste is almost without any attributes, it's almost impossible to explain. The self which is beyond attributes can be experienced, but cannot be explained. That's what it is experienceable, but not describable. So that's what, so that's, uh, that speaks of, that experience speaks of real knowledge. When you experience anything, then only all the doubts vanish. As long as I have not seen the ocean, I've read it in the textbook. Someone may come and convince me there is nothing called ocean and I may believe. But once I have seen the ocean, it's no more just a book knowledge. It's not no more a conceptual knowledge. I have seen the ocean. Then however one may try to convince that there is nothing called ocean, I won't argue. I will keep silent thinking that he is a mad person speaking nonsense. There's no question of argument. Argument comes only when I am yet to be convinced of my, convinced about the knowledge. Only realization can give us that conviction. Then you are established in that knowledge. Then nothing can uh, deviate you from that. Shankaracharya, a person of such a keen intellect, the world has produced very few in, uh, this, uh, persons of that keen intellect. He, after writing the commentary on the Prasthanatraya, is very nicely saying that I have written the commentary on all the uh, this, uh, this uh, three, uh, this, uh, what do you say, the pillars of our scriptures, the Sruti Pramana, the Smriti Pramana, and the uh, this Nyaya Pramana. This Upanishad is the Sruti, the Gita is the Smriti Pramana, uh, Pramana and the Brahma Sutras, the Nyaya Pramana. I have written the commentary on all of them. And I have established the Advaita by, through argument, that this is the highest knowledge. After saying that, very interesting thing is saying, but still someone more intelligent me than come and simply uh, prove my convictions, my uh, arguments to be uh, false. He can do that. But what one cannot do is can take away my conviction. That comes only through realization. Intellectuality is a double-edged sword with which we can prove anything. We can also disapprove anything, anything. You go to the court, you will find that it's possible that the way the, the lawyer proceeds with the proceedings of the legal procedure on that depends the winning or the losing of the case. Sometimes we find that most probably it has nothing to do with the fact. It has a way how you present it. We all know that. What it shows that intellectual is a double-edged sword with which we can prove anything, disapprove anything. But the one who is, has witnessed a thing, however you may go on giving reasons, you may win the case or lose the case. So the one who is a witness, you can never deviate him from his conviction. He has seen it. The lawyer may come and say that, that what he has seen is not true. But can you ever make that person uh, believe that? Never. I have seen. He has seen with his eyes. 
you can never make him believe that it is not true so knowledge alone is that experience so that's been i spoken of in the, in the word sarva sanchidyante sarva sanshaya all the doubts vanish all the knots of the hurt is cut asunder kshiyante chasya karmani this eternal chase after the trivial pleasures of life speaks of the karma they fall off once you have seen that who is the the source of everything high and low the mind is the high the product of the mind is the world this the one who is behind the mind behind the senses behind the sensate objects the self who is a witness one who has seen that for him is the ridagra all the knots of the heart is cuts asunder all the doubts vanish and this eternal chase after the pleasures of life in the form of karma that also falls off and that's being indicated in this mantra that that if you chase after the desires you get it but that doesn't entail in paryapta karma you never get in fulfillment the paryapta karma the fulfillment comes only when you become kritatmana it established in the self and then alone all the so called trivial desires falls off rendering you freedom by establishing in you in the bliss of your own self so then in the, in the it will it may be contended that that what that one should then to realize the self how to realize or most probably have to study a lot of scriptures in order to realize the atman so here to contend that type of idea to uh take us beyond that idea that to the, this from that wrong notion to take us beyond that wrong notion that we have to study a lot that we have to study scriptures we have to be a learned in the scriptures to get established in self to read us from that idea the next mantra uh, says that what's the only criteria for realization what it says the third mantra of the second chapter of the third part of mundaka upanishad what it says is it is also again a very very famous mantra oft quoted mantra nayam atma na ayam atma na ayam atma is nayam atma nayam atma pravachanena labhyo na medhaya na bahuna srutena yame vaishya vrinute tena labhya tasyaisha atma vibrinute narration of the vedas the chanting of the vedas nayamatma pravachanena labhya na medhaya this word medha in sanskrit has a very very specific meaning medha means the capacity to retain what you have heard it speaks of medha that we hear so many things we forget some will have the capacity to retain them the more you have the capacity to retain the knowledge that speaks of your medha so you may be very intelligent you have a tremendous capacity to retain what you have heard you don't forget them that speaks of the uh, this medha is this particular aspect of the intelligence which helps you to sustain to uh, just nourish the knowledge by through the remembrance of it without forgetting so you cannot attend the self with that type of medha also neither by hearing nor by retaining it na bahuna srutena and then i have heard it and just to uh, get established in what i have heard i go on studying various other scriptures as references that's what we do even in our day to day life that something which i have to study i try to retain what i have studied and to uh, get established in that knowledge to be convinced in that knowledge i will be searching for various other uh, resources by downloading some uh, something from the internet or from referring to the textbooks 
so that I can nourish the knowledge which I already have. Let's get more nourished. It gives me a sense of fulfillment that I and uh, that encompassment that I know the knowledge through and through. That's true with all our academic knowledge. But if you think that a self can be attained on the same process, that by adhering to the lecture, retaining it in our memory, and just nourishing it through thousands of references, know it for certain, that's not the way you can attain the self. It cannot be attained by the study of the Vedas, nor through that special type of intelligence which helps us to return what I have heard, and not through the much learning in the form of just referring to the various scriptures. Then how it is attained? He who chooses the Atman, that's a very significant word, by him alone Atman is attained. How it is attained? The Atman reveals itself to the seeker, its true nature. That I can never attain the Atman. The thing which is myself, how can I attain it? It is always with me. But when I am really intent to realize it, all the things which is obscuring it, that falls off, revealing the Atman, just like a fruit in your hand. Karatala Amala Kavat. What this mantra speaks of? The idea which we speak again and again. Pravachana, just I have not tested the mango. Someone comes and gives a lecture on the test of mango. That's the pravachana. Can I ever that way uh, realize the test of mango, have the knowledge of the test of mango? I may feel I have understood, but that conceptual has knowledge has nothing to do with the experiential knowledge. We all understand. But when one explains the test of anger, the one who has not tested, he may think I have understood. But that understanding is something which is a mere conceptual knowledge, which has nothing to do with the real test of the mango. The same person, when he tests the mango, immediately he will realize that all the concepts which I have developed about the test of mango is false, is of no use. The test of mango is something which is experienceable only by testing. So Napravachana, after hearing about the test of mango, you have the special capacity to return all the information you have heard about the test of mango. And you can become a learned scholar and write a textbook on the test of mango by just returning all the things you have about the test of mango. And you will be much appreciated for those literary quality of all those books. <coughs> but does it speak that you have really Real, you have, you have the real knowledge of the taste of mango. Still, you don't have. It's just the cut and paste you have done. It's an it's that all the intellectual knowledge without real, that the nowadays we speak of plagiarism. Plagiarism. All knowledge is plagiarism until and unless we have realized. Only when we have realized that becomes my own. You will find that in the, the Vedas has been mentioned as a Purusha, that no one has written it. And you may say, how can it be that no one has written it? Has it fallen from the skies? But the word Apurusha, Swami Vivekananda has explained in a wonderful way. Apurusha means what? That knowledge cannot be patented. Knowledge is universal. We simply discover. Newton never uh, invented <coughs> gravitation. Gravitation was there. Even before Newton, it was there. Only there was ignorance about it. There was a covering over that. Over the knowledge about gravity, there was a covering. Newton discovered, removed that covering. Nothing else. So, the idea, the knowledge of gravity is apurusha. It is not that Newton discovered gravity. He is the author of the gravitation. It is Apurusha. It is, it was, as rhythm, as truth, it was there. Newton is just the Rishi. These words are very important. In Sanskrit, what was the Rishi means? Mantra Drashta is the Rishi. 
The mantra means the truth, which is always there. It is there. He's just a drashta, he's a seer. So that's why they say Veda is a Purusha. So all those things are there. It's not that we are going to uh, create them. They will be revealed once the ignorance falls off. So it is the discovery means removing of the cover. Once the covering in the form of ignorance falls off, it reveals itself. That's what we indicated by Tram. Atma vivrinute tanuswam. That all the ignorance about the taste of mango, even with the scholar who has written a lot of textbooks on the taste of mango and he's yet to taste it, for him, the ignorance falls off. All the covering falls off the moment he tastes the mango. Unless he tastes the mango, all the conceptual knowledge actually adds up to the covering with all those concepts. It is adding up. And then the moment he tastes the mango in one shot, all the so-called layers of ignorance which he has developed falls up all at once. So that's the idea which is being indicated here, that it is the realization and realization alone that can uh, lead us to that highest good where all the desires falls off. It's not by the study of the scriptures. It's not by uh, simply um, cogitating upon them and going on writing commentaries upon it and referring to it. It's not that way. We have to realize all these things, Prabhachana, Medha, Sruti, so all these do have meaning when they motivate us for that real practice by which we ourselves can go into that realization. If they cannot motivate us, if they cannot in, in, in no way can create that yearning in us, then they are of no use. It, is, it just becomes an intellectual gymnastics, nothing else. All those becomes intellectual gymnastics without yielding any result. So to, to indicate that fact, that knowledge alone is realization, this mantra is highlighting that fact. Nayam atma, na ayam atma, pravachanena labhya, na medhaya, na bahunasrutena, yami vaisha, the one who really yearns for it. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, je chai, she pai. Je na chai, take baro bhute na chai. In Bengali, he is making the pun with these words, which is very difficult to translate. Uh, if it, it can be translated, but the charm of it you miss. That je chai, she pai, the one who really wants is bound to get it. Je na chai, the one who doesn't want it, take baro bhute na chai. The twelve ghosts make it dance in their in as in their whims. What are those twelve ghosts? The five organs of perception, the five organs of action, pancha gyanendriya, pancha karmendriya, mana, the mind, and the intellect, the buddhi. That when these these twelve ghosts can make us dance around, if we don't want to be swastha, don't want to die within and get established in the self then these 12 ghosts can make us dance around. As we have indicated that in one question and answer session, which I have attended long back, when a student asked a Swami, that have you seen ghost? Everyone laughed thinking that it's a, some, uh, the question which has nothing to do with the youth conference, but the Swami never took it lightly. He did give a very nice answer. He told, yes, I have seen. Even you, I can show it to you. Just dive within your mind, you can see there's so many ghosts are there, constantly making you jump in their own whims. It is to get rid of those ghosts. This Bharabhut is within us. So we can get rid of it only if we uh, develop that yearning to become Kritatmana, Swastha, to be established in the self. Otherwise, all this reading of scriptures, this retaining it, in our memory and using various reference to nurture that conceptual knowledge is of no use. After saying that, this mantra, the next mantra is something which we were referring to it uh, previously. We will read it and we will go to its elaborate discussion again in the next class. Nayam atma balahine The one who is without 
strength. The strength is not the physical strength. The strength which Swami speaks of by speaking of 3P, purity, patience, perseverance. The strength of perseverance to have the patience to continue in this journey. It doesn't speak of the physical strength. It is this strength, the spiritual strength, the strength of your mind, the strength of your resolution. Unless you have that, the Atman cannot be attained. Na Atma, Nayam Atma Balahinyanalabhya Na Cha Pramadat Tapaso Vyapya Lingyat Pramadat Not through delusion. That we may study the scripture, but our attachment to the mundane things in the form of Putraishana, Vittaishana, Yasheshana is so strong. Again and again we forget what we study. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say that the the village pond is full of scum, the green scum layer. The, the village, the, the, the woman folk, they come to clean the utensils. On the bank of the pond, they come, they, they, they sit and they remove the scum. The clear water becomes visible. They clean their utensils and when they're going back, in no time, the scum comes back and again covers the pond. It is our attachment to the worldly things makes us forgetful again and again. Now by reading the scripture is like removing the scum for the time being. The intellect seems to be clear. In no time, we again get uh, totally involved with the world and we become forgetful of what we are aspiring for. That speaks of the pramada, the delusion, which, is, which arises from that extreme attachment to the mundane things in the form of Putraishana, Vittaishana, Yashaisana. So you cannot attain Atman with that, that I'm studying the scriptures, but at the same time, I'm tremendously attached. When someone asks Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that, in, that you have created a revolution in the form of Nama Sankirtana, so many people are coming, joining, and they are having that spiritual exuberance. But at last we find that there is no such spiritual evolution for them. They do come, they do have that tremendous exuberance at the time of Kirtana, but again, they get so much attached to the worldly things. Why is it so? And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu very nicely replied that they are the, like the pots with innumerable holes. All this Kirtana is like the pouring of spiritual treasures into those pots. But the, all those holes speaks of the desire through which everything is going. Nothing is returned. Everything is flowing out. And that speaks of the pramada. That however we may resort to the study of the scripture, unless we have developed to a certain extent a detachment through all those holes of attachment, all our so-called wisdom is washed off. So that one, unless and until you can get rid of pramada, there cannot be realization. The next word is na va api alinga. Alinga means that our renunciation should be having some signs. Shankaracharya says that the tapasa vapyalinga he is translated as knowledge without monasticism. That you have, uh, uh, have the knowledge but you are have not renounced the world. But that's, that type of translation is extremely specific. The linga speaks of not uh, just resorting to monasticism. It speaks of knowledge without renunciation. That I study, but it doesn't has, has not created a, any sort of dispassion for the world. So that speaks of that a linga. A linga means, linga means, the word linga means sign. The word linga means sign. The sign by which I can recognize a thing is the linga. So that if I'm studying some scriptures, but it has no as such uh, expression, it finds no expression through my life. I'm, I'm the same attached person as I was. Same involved with the world, worldly things as I was. There is no sign of spirituality through my life. Then that becomes a linga. There's no sign. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very interestingly, that 
that is if you are the son of a rich man you naturally you uh, just by by being the son of a rich man you inherit with all the riches he has you inherit being the son of a rich man you inherit the wealth and now when you say that you are a devotee of god you are the son of god and if they find that nothing you have inherited all the things which are attributed to that to the as a godly qualities like renunciation dispassion wisdom nothing finds expression through your life there is no sign of it then what the people will think that they will think that you just are speaking something which is not truth you are you are not you're, what you are professing is not truth because there is no linger no sign of it so here this word linger means that that the knowledge should be associated with the sign in the form of renunciation that you have developed certain dispassion for life so any tapas without that sign find invisible that cannot take us to the realization so that is bhava api alingat the self cannot be realized etair upay air yatate yastu vidvangs tasyaisa atma vishate brahmadhama so what it speaks of the knower of self who strives through these means means just the opposite thing are the thing which you have to strive for if you are without strength you have to be with strength means so you have to have purity patience perseverance that's the strength if you are full of pramada you have to go beyond pramada up pramada constantly trying to contemplate on the self and to be detached from this flow from this trivial thing called all these worldly attachments that is apramada and you have to have your tapas all the endeavor which should find expression as a signature through your life that tapas how can i find that that, that my signature is the thing which identifies me so what is the signature of all my tapas that all the visible signs of spiritual qualities in the form of renunciation dispassion wisdom whether they are finding expression through your life it doesn't speak of the conventional uh, uh, renunciation as our uh, the 12th president bhuteshan used to say after our sanyasa ceremony he told us that the cloth that your sanyas the so called sanyas which you had is just a few pence it's prizes few pence where with a few pence you purchase that dye with which you have uh, dyed your cloth the made your cloth ochre color it just it's a few pence so that so called external realization is it's this prize is just a few pence it's not for that that you have taken sanyasa it's for the all the divine qualities that has to find expression as a signature of your spiritual life that alone is the thing which is the proof of your sanyasa that's the only thing which has the worth so all your tapas should lead to that signature the one who has done that he alone can realize the self the one who is courageous in the form of having patience and perseverance and constantly is trying to be apramada beyond the delusion and he is trying to in uh, that uh, internalize the so called spiritual values through his spiritual endeavors he alone can at last get established in the self so we will again take up this fourth mantra and then proceed to the few more mantras with which the mundaka upanishad will be concluded so in this last chapter you will find is very specific as per the path spiritual journey is concerned it is giving us that what uh, real spirituality is and what it is not that what generally we take it as spirituality as discussing the scripture performing some meaningless ritual which has in no way reflects uh, any change in our life that of course that's what we think to be spirituality that's not the real spirituality is something which speaks of the internalization that's we uh, what we say that is find the expression not only through our words but through our life then only it can enter in spiritual liberation so that's the thing which will be 
discussed in this chapter uh, uh, before we conclude the study of Mundaka Upanishad. So with this, we conclude our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.